Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, NFC Week 11 Preview Edition. I'm your host, Dean Harditz. Happy Wednesday. You're probably listening on a Thursday. Great day to be great either way. And joining me, as always, PFF's finest, Kevin Cole, host of the Unexpected Points Podcast. There's a bunch of other cool shit out there as well. Kevin, what's up, man? Hey, yeah, sorry I had to uh, leave early for the last podcast. I mean... How do I put this gently? Ian, your takes. I mean, they just I had to literally run to the bathroom and vomit after after some of them. So let's let's be better this time. I couldn't I, I just didn't know what you were going to say about Greg Dolchich. And I, I I had to run out of here before you got to it. So sorry about that. I started talking about just how bad the Broncos offense was. And Kevin, Kevin had enough of it. And honestly, I don't blame him. So with that, we are on to the NFC. And with that, the first place, Philadelphia Eagles still sitting at 8-1 atop the NFC East. This week, they are in Indy, Philly favored by 6.5, game total of 45. So, hey, script is out and how to beat Philly. Kevin, you need a quarterback to do an egregious flop on the last play of the game. And you need Philly to turn the ball over uh, more than they have all season long. Did we actually learn anything, though, from that performance that you think could be unsettling for the Eagles uh, more to come? I will say... I talked about it for the Colts part without Jordan Davis, you know, being that run stuffer defensive tackle they have, we have seen the Texans and now the commanders, not the most efficient in the world, you know, being able to run the ball down their throats, but they have been able to at least each put up, I believe 150 plus on the ground. And this now sits as the worst defense in the league in terms of EPA per run play. Now they're incredible against the pass, which you would prefer over being incredible versus the run in the year 2022. But any big takeaways for you from that Monday night loss to the Washington commanders? No, I mean, nothing outside of on the injury front that we have Goddard, who's now going to IR, which will be a committee type approach to replace him. Maybe a few targets will be sprinkled out to everyone else. And I haven't seen anything on AJ Brown, but, you know, he was a little gimpy early in that game. And I guess for him, injury history I mean, he finished it out, so he's probably fine. But injury history makes me a little bit nervous about him because he's been a guy who's known to miss a week or two in certain situations. Their schedule is just cake before this, cake after this. I don't think they're in any danger other than maybe not getting the one seed to the Minnesota Vikings. I don't know. Like the the Vikings can, at least. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there's some possibility there. Um but I'd just be more concerned about the injury fragility there. I mean, they do have Devontae Smith and, you know, Pascal, I guess. Um, I don't know. Is Jalen Ray? Jalen Rager's not there, so I don't know who they have left there. Yeah, so I don't know what's going on. Yeah, AJ Brown did say after the game that quote unquote, I'll be good. He did have that ankle issue very early, but played through the pain. So one of those things where, hey, we've seen it, you know, guys like Ryan Tannehill, you know, they got the adrenaline going during the middle of a game. They suffer an injury. They come back and play. Then they wind up having to miss another game or two. Hardly a given that's going to be the case for AJB, but just something to keep an eye on. And yeah, losing Dallas Goddard, I don't think Jack Stoll is going to be, you know, someone that we're exactly, you know, lining up as a top 12, top 15 tight end. I agree with Kevin's point that it should be a committee. Good news, though, for Devontae Smith. Again, just taking someone out of the equation that can't command as many targets as Dallas Goddard. And we've discussed it on this podcast. Still one of the more run heavy offenses in the league in non garbage time situations, at least top eight or so. Last time I checked. And if you condense, you know, the guys really demanding targets from three to two should lead to more consistency for AJB and Devonta. Final note is Miles Sanders expected points says he's low end RB two. His real points say he's a low end RB two starting to think the guy is just a solid low end RB two. Second place, New York giants still sitting at seven and two this week. They are home against the lions favored by three game total just at 46. So 
Hey, the team's seven and two, Kevin. Daniel Jones has led the New York football giants to a seven and two record. And as we've tried to do with all these teams, he's not exactly had, you know, the most help doing so in the passing game. I mean, the starting three wide receiver set going into this year was supposed to be Sterling Shepard out for the season. Kenny Galladay benched after one of the more egregious drops you'll see. And Kadarius Tony, now a member of the Kansas City Chiefs. So yes, Darius Slayton has gone out there and made some nice plays. Wondell Robinson has flashed a little bit here or there, but hardly the sort of passing environment we'd be expecting a bunch of passing production to come out of. That said, just eight passing touchdowns on the season. He hasn't hit 220 passing yards in a game. Daniel Jones has two all season, two completions on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield. So, man, Daniel Jones, New York Giants quarterback of 2023 and beyond, I'm not really buying it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really buying it either, but they might be backed in a little bit into throwing the franchise. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. Throwing the franchise tag at him just because the record the way it is. I mean, Philly will be getting healthy, but, you know, they're game back. They play Philly week 14 and week week 18. I don't know. Like the, if they could win some of those games, they could even put themselves in position to, to win the division, which would be a little bit shocking at this point, but you never know what can happen. Um, you didn't mention Kenny Galladay flashing. I, oh, flashing, <laughs> oh, you yeah. did? Okay. I said it was one of the most egregious drops you'll ever see. We only got him one drop. Someone told me that he got credited with two drops on his two targets. We one. only credited him with one drop. We only credited him with one drop. So only a 50% drop rate. Don't, besmirch Kenny Galladay and try to pretend like he had a hundred percent drop rate. Oh, the mannequin himself. It's just so sad, man. Like I'm sure Gen Z doesn't even remember a couple years ago when Galladay was, you know, one of the most fear contested catch artists in the league. It does go to show you that some of these coming at Gen Z for unprovoked. (laughs) You you just call me Ethan. What the hell? Sorry. (laughs) Same difference, man. Same difference. Uh, Go ahead. But yes, Darius Slayton doing his thing. Wondell Robinson looking okay with his opportunities. But guys, when Daniel Jones throws 17 passes a game, sometimes there's just not enough meat on the bone to expect much out of these receivers. So Wondell and Slayton, as long as they are in games, such as this week, where we are expecting the Giants not to exactly have to keep their foot on the gas in the passing game throughout, just going to be pretty thin wide receiver threes at best. And if you don't have them in your top 36, I'm not going to blame you. Saquon Barkley continuing to do king shit. So otherwise, Kevin, you did have a good article. I believe it was five moves that you can make now to help improve your chances of winning a fantasy football championship. Go check that out on pff.com. One of the guys that you brought up before on this podcast as well is Matt Breida, just someone that really isn't getting the same sort of high-end handcuff treatment as some of these other guys, and deservedly so. We're not trying to say he's Tony Pollard or Alexander Madison even level of handcuffs, but that said, behind Saquon, there's Matt Breida and there's Gary Brightwell. And this season, the rush attempts are 29 to 4 in favor of Breida. Targets are 8 versus 0. Snaps are 121 versus 13, all in favor of Matt Breida. So I guess my thing has been like, it was a pretty wide open Buffalo backfield last year. And Dable wasn't really willing to ever give Breida even like a consistent part-time role in that. But at the same time, you know, it's now 10 weeks and we've seen nobody else in this backfield even get some sort of backup work. So I don't think if Saquon got hurt that Breida would even be a top 15 running back the next week, but he'd still be the projected lead back. And Hey, if you're any lead back getting 60, 70% snaps, not the 80, 90 that we're seeing from Saquon, but that's still going to be someone that could potentially be a solid low-end RB2 rest of the way. Yeah, yeah. And I think the way that they're operating this offense, remember how pass-heavy they were. 
um, with the Bills and obviously a lot more run heavy here. They don't have the t- the personnel. You know, Daniel Jones is Daniel Jones, not Josh Allen. So maybe he's not going to get 35 carries like Saquon Barkley would end up getting in a game. But that's a lot. When Saquon's putting up uh, 35, 20, 24, 22, 13, but then 31, you know, he's putting up these big carry numbers game in and game out. Even if you're getting – 60% of Saquon Barkley's workload, that could be worth something as a, as an option when things are thin at running back. Third place, but still projected to be the second wildcard team are your Dallas Cowboys at 6-3. and three. Coming off that OT loss to the Green Bay Packers this week, another NFC North showdown in Minnesota. Cowboys are one-and-a-half point road favorites, game total at 47-and-a-half. So whether that's America's team, you know, betting public, usually siding with the Cowboys, or Vegas just not really buying into the 8-1 and one Vikings. It's, uh, it's Ian's that. team and Ethan's team also. I think it's both, both of their teams. Ian and Ethan's. You know what's funny? Uh, Kevin, like, you brought the point you're just not a fan of any team out there like that's that is against all of them equally i don't know how that's possible but i am you've seen the amount of cowboys just dumb heartbreaks over the years like you tried dealing with that as an irrational fan and then grab you know picking yourself up off the floor and trying to do the rest of your job so i would say these days you know usually chairs and pillows and whatever only flying around the heart of household when the buckeyes are on so i've been able to rein it in a little bit but the one thing that continues to annoy me with the whole Cowboys fandom and just football Twitter in general is the Zeke versus Pollard debate because my issue with it is like how many teams in the NFL would we not have a problem with Tony Pollard being the backup running back on because all these stats and we can talk about him being more efficient than Zeke and he has been he's been more efficient than almost every running back in the NFL he's our fifth highest graded uh, running back in terms of PFF rushing grade among 50 running backs with at least 50 carries he's second in yards per carry he's first in yards after contact per carry tied for 11th and missed tackles force per carry so Pollard's awesome, and I think that we'd be having this argument everywhere. So, yeah, he's specifically in Dallas. That's why we're focusing on it. But I don't know, man. I just wish we could, again, praise Pollard a little bit more without shitting on Zeke, you know, out the other side of our mouth in the exact same sentence. So, all that aside, this Cowboys offense, 24, 49, and 28 points over the past three weeks with Dak under center. Like, to me, Kevin, that's Dak getting back to doing Dak things. That's not Tony Pollard being in for Zeke. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And – it's also CD Lamb yeah. doing what we hoped CD Lamb would do type of things. It's pretty amazing. He was aligned to potentially have just this monster uh, share this season without uh, Cooper there with Gallup being injured to start the season. But if you look at what he had done, uh, never had 100 yards receiving in any game until he went off here for 11 catches, 150 yards, and two touchdowns. I don't think we're going to get a ton of that going forward, but at least it was a positive sign because I was starting to lose some faith in the fact that whether or not he could put up that type of game. And also at 13.6 yards per reception, he hadn't really been tearing it up there either and stretching the field. So it was good to see him put all that together in one outcome there on a high passing volume type of game for Dak Prescott. Credit to uh, Kellen Moore and the Cowboys for changing up, you know, where they want to align CD. I know last year, uh, before the Michael Gallup injury, their ideal offense was Cooper on one side, Gallup on the other, and then CD in the slot. But when Gallup got hurt, they moved CD back outside. And that's why you saw games like their wild card loss to 49ers, where Cedric Wilson and Dalton Schultz are getting the majority of targets ahead of, you know, your best wide receivers 
and CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. So really this entire season, I mean, all but three games, I'm sorry, all but four games, all which came, you know, early on in the year, CeeDee Lamb has been spending the majority of his time in the slot. So, you know, Vikings, and now credit to Peterson for getting his two interceptions last week, but this is not a defense that we're going to fear for CeeDee. And we've seen him face teams like the Eagles and Darius Slay, you know, and just avoid even the Rams and Jalen Ramsey. Like teams aren't choosing to shadow CeeDee Lamb with their best cornerback because of where he's lining up a lot. So just good job by the Cowboys moving around your best player to get him the football as much as possible. Novel concept. So with Dak under center this year, though, CD is the overwhelming target leader with 38, but easily in second place is Dalton Schultz. Four games now with Dak, seven catches, 62 yards, five catches, 49 yards, six for 74, and most recently six catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown. Kevin, the tight end position has gotten ravaged by injuries here recently, and you look up now and, man, Dalton Schultz, tight end four on the weekend, doesn't even feel egregious. I have Kelsey, Kittle, and Hawkinson ahead of him. Hell, you could even talk about Schultz versus Hawkinson, and I think have a reasonable argument to put Schultz ahead of the guy. So I'm expecting this the rest of the year. You know, during the preseason, I rejected the idea that Schultz deserved to be so far ahead of Dallas Goddard. Like, that was my issue. It wasn't even that he should be, you know, Goddard should be ahead of Schultz. I thought Schultz, as the tight end six, I think he was pretty consensusly, was the right spot. The problem was Goddard was going like two rounds later in terms of his overall ADP. But just in terms of the position, Schultz is a top five, if not top four tight end the rest of the way. Yeah, I, I agree. I think maybe it's a talent-based discussion. I think it's probably leaning Goddard over Schultz in that regard. But there's not a lot of options on Dallas. And, you know, for whatever, for whatever it's worth, we've seen tight ends, even when they're quite aged and maybe are not necessarily the most explosive who become security blanket type players for their quarterbacks. And Dak loves Dak loves him some 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 Schultz. So, you know, that's great in PPR in particular. And he finally got a touchdown. So yeah. that also hurts, right? If you're a tight end, you're not scoring touchdowns. That's very difficult to be productive. So that's been something that's held them down this season. Last place, Washington Commanders at 5-5 five and five, coming off that Monday night W against Philly, though. This week, they're in Houston, favored by 3.5 points, game total at 40.5. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler has come out and said that the expectation is that Taylor Heineke will remain the starter. And, okay, look, it's not like Carson Wentz put a very high bar out there for Heineke to clear, and, you know, winning is winning, and he has managed to do a decent amount of that in his time under center, but... My God, Kevin, just do we have to, every single time someone does anything in prime time, like we just have the hyperbole that goes into it is wild. Like if Heineke had just had that exact same performance on Sunday at 1 p.m., I don't think anyone would have given a single shit about it. 211 passing yards, no touchdowns, one interception. He's PFF's single lowest graded quarterback on the year, mostly because he has a league high 6.9% turnover worthy play rate. So there are some highs out there, which is fine, but there also were for Carson Wentz. So I guess my thing is like, look, it was a bad offense overall with Carson Wentz under center. Still very much a bad offense with Taylor Heineke, but we're going with Heineke. you have any thoughts on the uh, quarterback controversy, if you will? I mean, none other than the fact that they were very close before the Minnesota game to winning four in a row, which would have been like the worst four-game winning streak ever. As you yeah. mentioned, Heineke was someone who, in the three games that he played during that streak, had a 34 grade, then a 56, then a 49. So he had a 74 grade. So he had a good game. He finally had a good game. So they won with him having a good game, which is unique for them. I guess you start him going forward because, like, how are you not going to start him? We're talking about Carson Wentz here. But it wouldn't be surprising at all that his bad play – comes back and then it doesn't coincide with lucky victories. And then we see one sometime before the end of the season. 
in those four games, Washington scored 23, 17, 17, and 32 points. Obviously, they got a little bit of help from that last-second defensive touchdown there on Monday Night Football. In Houston this week, the Houston Texans in freaking nine games this year have allowed the overall RB1 or the overall RB2 in PPR scoring on five separate occasions. So, Brian Robinson, I still don't understand why he's getting fed the ball this much uh, this season. The fewest yards per touch among all players with at least 50 touches. Cam Akers at 3.03, and then Brian Robinson at 3.22. You got to go up a half a yard to get to Najee Harris, who's, you know, the third worst, uh, third least efficient rusher, I should say, on a per-touch basis this season. But guess what, Kevin? I'm not the one calling the plays in Washington. I'm not the one setting the depth chart. Ron Rivera wants to get Brian Robinson his 20-plus touches, and that's going to make him a borderline RB2 against one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL. Hopefully Antonio Gibson continues to get used more and more as a receiver. Only CMC and Ramondre Stevenson have higher PFF receiving grades than Antonio Gibson this year. So good stuff there. Terry McLaurin, keeping on, keeping on. I mean, eighth in the NFL in receiving yards. I know they haven't had their bye week yet, so it's a little uh, fudged up there. But just to see him continue to do this, I mean, I really do think he's established himself. I thought it was like Terry versus DJ Moore as like this generation's Allen Robinson and before him, you know, it was Andre Johnson, just the stud wide receiver, you know, making the most out of a bunch of shit QBs out there. I think Terry McLaurin is officially his generation's A-Rob before him, Andre Johnson. I got McLaurin over DJ Moore. Is that fair, Kevin? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair. I mean, <laughs> some of the comparison, though, I mean, I will say like Andre Johnson to me is like a borderline hall of famer. Um, a Rob, I don't know, not, 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 not quite making it there. Terry McLaurin is pretty good. Uh, I don't know if he'll quite get there either. One thing I want to mention, Brian Robinson. Sorry, I got to go back to a player that we, we both don't care about. Um, yards per touch. I do have a bit of a pet peeve about, I know touch, I'm being a bit of a dick here, but I know so then, much but of then in times. fairness to you. I looked at him and he, he has four, he only has four targets, but in the four targets, he only has seven yards and four targets. So he's not doing so hot in that category also. So maybe he is just really bad all around, but yeah, yards per touch does tend to favor like that. It's probably your favorite Duke Johnson stat. Like probably Duke Johnson's like one of the best yards per touch guys. Cause he has so many receptions, but anyway, just, just going back to that for no reason other than to have a little rant. Remember, everyone, Duke Johnson, second most all-purpose yards. Hey, if running backs were good enough to handle kick returns, Kevin, I think they would. So I don't want to hear that used. Uh, against, Raheem Mostert. Uh, That's Johnson. why Raheem Mostert does it. So. The, the Raheem Mostert theory. Uh, but, yes, look, in my article, I tried to break down, you know, what does Brian Robinson do better than Antonio Gibson? And in rushing, it's it's very good. Is Antonio Gibson returning kicks still? Or was it he? Or yes, early? yes, he is. He busted a big one on the first play. The That's what I remembered. So, yeah, so there's another example. If you put your best running back returning kicks – this is the new, what does the analytics say? So at least we saw Gibson get all three of the backfield targets. Because, okay, carries like, I get it. Gibson hasn't been fantastic either. And I agree with the general eye test where Gibson's, you know, bouncing a little more. Robinson, you know, Brian Robinson, you need three yards, he can get you three yards. You need four yards, he can get you three yards. And I think that's about it with him. Moving on to the NFC North, first place, eight and one Minnesota Vikings at home, one and a half point dogs to the Cowboys game total at 47 and a half. So we came on here last week talking about how despite the Vikings being seven and one, Kirk Cousins was posting five-year lows in yards per attempt, QBR, PFF passing grade, whatever your preferred stat is. And that does still persist, but he did manage to put up his first performance with more than 300 passing yards last week because of one man, Justin freaking Jefferson. And I said on Sunday night, uh, Kevin, but 
I didn't think the Justin Jefferson catch was the catch of the decade. Like people were making it out to be, if anything, that safety, like helped push him more into his stomach. Like, come on now, Stefan Diggs went up and caught a ball in his hand and didn't even need to like move it. The dude had freaking stick him out there. So all that aside, you know, whatever. It's a stupid thing to argue about. Him and Tyree. Situation, right? It was more situation than the actual That's impressiveness fair. of the catch. I mean, there was an element of like, I can't believe that didn't hit the ground as part of it, but you're right. The, the uh, defensive back kind of helped mold it in and place it uh, gently into Justin Jefferson's hand. I, again, it's more so when I see people tweeting out catch of the century, best catch ever. Like who someone said it was like, well, if Some- it's on Twitter, then you have to discount something. <laughs> like if someone says on Twitter, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. That means this is the maybe not good thing that I've seen in the last five minutes. That's what it, that's, that's how you translate Twitter. I think, and you know, rap sheet, I've come around a lot on the guy. I think he's the best national reporter out there, but like he said, it was a like, great quote tweeter. Have you ever seen his quote tweets <laughs> where he's like, interesting. Well, that's what he did. I, bro, I, I think he said it was like the most acrobatic catch since Julio in the Super Bowl. It's like, come on at this point, but <laughs> game of the year. I mean, Justin Jefferson, I think yeah, everyone was getting excited. A lot of juices were flowing. Juice. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. then the takes just come out from the juices. I like to get excited too. So I shouldn't be, uh, I shouldn't be all uh, pissing and moaning about it. You're excited enough said. to make the Vikings your number one team in the power rankings. As I've seen pro football talk has done that. It's moved to number one in the power rankings. You know what I like to be able to do is with these guys with the power rankings. Can I set up a system where I can like bet against their power rankings? Because they're saying, okay, oh, oh, so you say the Vikings are better than I don't know whoever you put on here, or the or the Giants are number four. Like, can I just bet against your power rankings in some way, shape, or form? Would they actually take those bets to back their power rankings? I mean, shouldn't the power rankings be like week? If we're doing week eleven power rankings, it should be like. Who would be who would be the team that's favored over every, every other team if we played on a neutral field like that? I yeah. I don't make power rankings, but that then would, it would be just be the think. Bills. Even still, and people would be very like bored if you just had the Bills there the entire season so far. But it would be interesting this week. This would finally be a week where people would be like, "You can't put the Bills number one. They just lost." So where, where would you have the Vikings in uh the power rankings, Kevin? I don't know, around ten, maybe eleven, Ooh. something like that. So yeah. See their point, um, their point differential this year is at plus thirty five. If you look at, the I mean, they were three. not the better team, even than the Bills in this in this last game. I mean, let's face it; they have all these one score wins. I don't think they're a better team than they were last year. I don't think they're necessarily like Kirk Cousins is not having a great year. Um, but whatever, that's just the way it's just the way it goes. There was actually an interesting thing where Courtney, I forget what her last name is, she was a Cronin. Vikings reporter. What Cronin? Uh, Cronin, Cronin, yeah, so she was on there. She, I mean, it was a great take for like a thing of like, we need to stop, you know, saying they're lucky because they're winning and they find a way to win. I mean, it's a great take. Don't get me wrong. But it's just like we have to know what randomness looks like. So I put this thing out on Twitter where I said, you know what? I'm just going to simulate the season, make every game a coin flip. And you put it out and boom, it was like the Washington Commanders are eight and two and on an eight game win streak. What would what would the narrative be around that? Right. Even though it's everything is completely equal. So they've been a slightly better than average team so far this season. And those teams can and go on win streaks like we've seen for the Vikings. And I think it's fine to say that. That said, they are tied for eighth in point differential this year. So I don't think 10th is as egregious as, you know, some might make it out to be. Power rankings, like if we wanted to just look at the standings and see who's got the best record, then we could just look at those. Be better power ranking people. Well, uh, and, and, and NFC North is approaching like AFC South levels of play so far this season. So that's that's helped them for sure. 
it's been rough and it is going to be tough for them to keep on keeping on in that passing game this week they got the cowboys who are sixth in epa allowed per pass play next week they got the league best patriots the third ranked jets okay they get a little bit of a break with the lions and colts yeah. but then the giants and packers to finish but the cowboys are a better team than the vikings okay like i would dare anyone because everyone's gonna have them lower in the power rankings i would anyone wants to bet me on that I'll, i will take it I do wonder if this Vikings team could be built right to take advantage of this Cowboys defense. The one hole we've seen with them, Leonard Fournette, Aaron Jones, some of these other yeah, guys, the Cowboys haven't been the best at stopping that run. So if Dalvin Cook is going to have a Dalvin Cook game, I do think that's probably the Vikings best. In Minnesota, Cowboys are one and a half point favorites, which is not a lot, but it's in Minnesota. Only other notes, obviously starting Cook and Jefferson, fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes. TJ Hawkinson has earned that treatment. Adam Thielen, I said it for weeks now. He hadn't gone more than three games without a touchdown since 2018. Kevin, he hasn't gone more than four straight games without a touchdown since 2018. So we'll see if next week we'll have a new stat, a new interesting stat to tell. tell. He hasn't gone. He hasn't, he's, he was in high school the last time he went five games without a touchdown. We can, we can keep it rolling, man. All right. Wide receiver 39 on the season, wide receiver 29 expected points. He's a wide receiver three. You you kind of drafting him for this thinking that if he was going to be healthy, then he kind of maybe have more spikes. So unfortunate that hasn't happened. Jefferson, just has been featured more ahead of him than in past years. But yeah, Thielen, solid enough wide receiver three. And keep an eye, if you do see Alexander Madison on waivers, he still continues to have that sky-high upside. God forbid anything happened to Dalvin Cook. The rest of the way, I am knocking on wood. Second place, four and six, Green Bay Packers. Finally got that, you know, bounce back when they were looking for. And it really was, I think, probably the best performance we've seen from Aaron Rodgers this season and at a minimum over the last month or so of action. Season high marks and yards per attempt, 11.2. Passer rating, 146.7. Just the third time the series had a PFF passing grade above 80. The schedule's doable, man. Titans, they got to go into Philly. That's going to be rough. But after that, Bears, by Rams, Dolphins, Vikings, and Lions. So do you think last week could finally be that spark? That, was get to, that gets this offense going or did Christian Watson have a three touchdown game that probably won't happen again and we're still looking at a bad offense overall okay I will say I'm going to take the under on Christian Watson three touchdown games whatever, whatever life you're willing what to about three me? touchdowns the rest oh, three of the <laughs> for the rest of the season oh yeah. I'd probably still take the under on that. Okay, I was I'd probably say. still take the under the under on that um so the problem with this game is I mean it's boring to say but it's like 20 pass attempts for Aaron Rodgers. And this is how they want to win. You said it was their best looking game of the season. This is like their ideal outcome. And it's bad. Not if you're like, if you have Aaron Jones, I guess it's not bad, but it's bad if you're hoping for a good outcome for any of these wide receivers or some sort of explosion from Christian Watson down the stretches. This is how they want to play. I know he's the back-to-back MVP. I know he's a hall of famer. I know at one time he was seen as the most talented quarterback ever to live and everything else, but they want to keep him in that 20 to 30 pass range, run the ball and win games in that sort of fashion with him being efficient, but not putting up gaudy type of counting numbers. I do think that Christian Watson, for many of the same reasons why we were t- hyping up Romeo Dobbs a couple of weeks ago, like, look, it's a wide open passing offense. Randall Cobb is coming back from IR, but I do think in games where we're not going to see them be able to run the ball quite as well as they did last week, it should be Watson side by side, Alan Lazard at the top. Now, does that immediately make the dude like a top 20? You need to start him every week wide receiver. No, absolutely not. But a solid enough wide receiver three, pretty much where we were kind of ranking Romeo Dobbs unsuccessfully. I'll add to that, uh, you know, for a nice little stretch there. I do think that's fair. Preseason, so this would, preseason yeah. Romeo Dobbs. That was that was that was this, that was that was the good stuff. 
this week home against the Titans. Green Bay is favored by three game total resting at just 41. So Robert Tunyon, only one touchdown this season, only one game with even 40 receiving yards. He becomes a more thin play by the week. I guess the only other note I had is just how good Aaron Jones has been individually as a rusher this year. I mean, I like to send out these uh, graphs every once in a while on Twitter. Missed tackles for us per carry on the X on the X axis uh, yards after contact per carry on the Y, the two kind of running back metrics where we can hopefully see their one-on-one, you know, skills the most. And if you look in the top, right, you're going to see the best running backs at both Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Damian Pierce, Aaron Jones, and Travis Etienne. And I'd say that matches the eye test. The guy has been fantastic all season long. Good on Jonesy for stepping up. Almost 29 years old. He's got a lot of, he's got, he's got, he's got some, got some bursts for 29 years old. By the way, let's go back to Christian Watson for a second. You take over, you take over three. I'll give you two and a half. I'll give you two and a half. Ooh. Yeah, I take over. I take over. Really? Two okay. Yeah. I'll book that. I'm booking that. We'll, we'll, we'll check in on that later this season. Third place, three and six, Detroit Lions. Back-to-back wins is the roar being restored after I was mocking them, you know, week in and week out for Maybe a bit. Ninja gets it. We've, Ninja we've, we've gets discussed it. this. At the Giants this week, Giants three-point home favorites, game total at 46. So uh, Nathan Yonke talked about Jared Goff being a solid waiver wire ad this week. This week against the Giants and the Bills, not the best. But if you do look overall down the stretch, they're going to have the fourth easiest schedule moving forward. God forbid we get some of these weapons back. I still haven't exactly heard the final verdict on Jamison Williams, but DJ Chark's practice window did just get open. They're hoping to get him back from IR sooner rather than later. And he's still top 10 in passing yards and passing touchdowns touchdowns this year despite dealing with those injuries so just five touchdowns over the last five weeks in the passing game Amon Ross St. Brown is the only sure thing in there and shame on any of you that gave up on him as a wide receiver one come on guys targets in his last 12 non-injured games 12 12 11 11 11 10 12 12 9 10 9 11 it is ridiculous so and some guy passing it a ton either he's just no. getting like 40 50 percent shares over these games they put him in the backfield too like they find a way to get amon ross st brown the ball and why not the man's a baller just keep an eye on that ankle he did tweak it last week continue to play the rest of the game but obviously don't want our guys to be out there playing through too much pain so that takes us to the andre swift conversation kevin and always give our guy josh norris plenty of love on his podcast i love josh and he's so big time now you know i always see him on those underdog commercials got to remind myself uh you know just how uh how great the guy has been but with deandre swift josh showed a very fair play it was an eight yard screen and deandre swift basically tried to cut the thing back across the whole field where if he had just kept running straight sure looked like there was a lot of yards there so i don't freaking know what deandre swift is seeing man when i used to play running back in high school like i remember just if it's supposed to go in the b gap i'm putting my head down the b gaps shit's happening so fast like the fact that guys can hurdle and cut back across the field absolutely mind-blowing to me like even that vision stuff man yeah it's real easy to look at the all 22 view a lot harder when you got these you know finely tuned athletic machines trying to take your freaking head off out there so i'm more willing to look at swift and say he's trying to make up for the last six weeks in one play this dude's only getting five six touches per game so i think it makes sense that he's pressing a little bit out there at the end of the day He's the only running back in the league averaging seven plus yards per touch. So I'm not going to forget about everything he's done, you know, in the past this season, just on one play. Ian, I told you about touch, but go ahead. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Watch the freaking do per carry, do per target, do per reception. Okay, no, no, he's good. He's, he's explosive. Go ahead. I'm, I'm he is ahead. incredibly explosive. Now, Jamal Williams is very good at what he does. Nine touchdowns this year, 15 carries and six of the last seven games. Why does Justin Jackson have to factor into this? If DeAndre Swift is not going to be on your injury report. That's why. I I guess so, man. But, like, again, it's one of these things where 
I told myself, I came to you people, you know, on Wednesday, Thursday, DeAndre Swift, someone that I wanted to see with my own eyes before we moved him back up the ranks. And then he wasn't listening on the injury report. He practiced in full on Friday. And damn it, Kevin, I put him back in as a low-end RB2. I'm not doing it again. We need to see it. Apparently, he's working behind Justin Jackson and Jamal Williams right now. That's just what's happening. Yeah, they don't think he's good. Now, we can hearken all the way back to hard knocks. If you remember, there was a little bit of a storyline there with uh, Deuce Staley was the the running backs coach there. And he was like, I'm going to get this out of him. Swift seems like a little bit not timid probably is not the right word but whatever he's not he's not just like a concrete blockhead who's just going in there like he's trying to avoid contact sometimes he's trying to bounce things outside he's trying to use that athleticism sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't he gives you the highest potential to break off a 50-yard carry but he maybe doesn't give you the highest potential to get you know four yards when it's blocked for properly so I think that could be playing into it a little bit and the frustration there um, 12 yards though last week and just not being used that whole much. Well, what do you think would be a, like a proper over under for yards that he will gain the rest of the season being that we got how many uh, seven games, no eight games left in this, in this season. I don't know if he'll get more than like 450, 500 yards. I don't know. We'll see. Dude, if he's not touching the ball more than five or six times a game. Well, yeah, we, we hope it's going to get better than that though. Right. It has to, at some point. I would think so, but again, we have two of these last three weeks now. Coming out of the bye, like, I don't know. Dan Campbell tells us he's injured during the week, and then they're not listing him on the injury report by the end of the week. So it's tough. So, yes, last week, obviously, worst performance of the year. Week before that, he had 50 yards on five touches, and the story going into that game was like, let's see how he does. And I don't know. That seems pretty good to me. Didn't lead to more usage. So, unfortunately, I do hope that we can get him back into a usable Low end RB2, but the days of man expecting him to be this top 10 league winner certainly do seem to be over. So right now, Sun God, Jamal Williams, those are the only guys we can trust in Detroit. Last place, Chicago Bears sitting at three and seven. What a tank job going on here. We got Justin Fields and company putting up points, bringing some positive vibes, but doing just enough to lose in the end. This week there in Atlanta, Falcons are favored by three. Game total resting at 50 just keeps on going higher for the Bears. So again, 33, 29, 32, and 30 points over the last four weeks. We got Matthew Barry over here at Roto World or Rubber Companies representing basically ranking fields as the QB1 ahead of week 11. And it's not egregious, man. You definitely don't need more than one hand. <laughs> I don't know. Really? <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I, what, top five? Like, okay, I get Okay, it. yeah, top five I'll give you. I'll, I'll give you that. I guess, yeah, Josh Allen, weather. Yeah, I mean, I guess. The only thing about fields is – He's not going to get a 60-yard touchdown run every week. That's a, that, that's that's all I have to say about it. That's I'm going to go out of limb there. I'm going to take the under on 60-yard touchdowns this week, under under one half. He is sixth in rushing yards on the entire season. Not among quarterbacks, among everybody. Only Saquon, D. Henry, Nick Chubb, Jacobs, and Damian Pierce have more at this point. On pace for 1,273 rushing yards and 10 scores. Absolute king shit from Justin Fields. Will he be the overall QB1 every single week? Probably not, but he's done it two straight weeks in a row. So, again, wouldn't rank him number one myself, but you definitely don't need two hands to rank the number of guys you're going to have ahead of him. The more pertinent uh, subject josh or jesus mixing up my words here man with the passing game one game with 200 plus yards this year it's 208 i mean he hasn't even thrown the ball 30 times in a game so darnell mooney very good real life receiver chase claypool will probably see that usage come up but man even cole Komet, it's just tough to rank them too high when there's not enough volume there to even go around 
I guess Cole Komet has established himself as a top 10 guy. He keeps scoring touchdowns. I mean, five over the last three weeks. But really, any expectations for this passing game moving forward? No, no. I mean, I think even Komet, you're, you could be easily disappointed there. I think the only thing to highlight, and again, it doesn't matter that much because of the overall macro environment is so bad, but Claypool fewer snaps last week than the year before this is not a ramping up this is like a ramping down uh for claypool so i don't know what's going on there final note is that khalil herbert will be missing at least the next four weeks on the injured reserve list with that Montgomery season fire him up he can't keep getting away with this man every year you start looking at the uh, second half stats and montgomery just starts coming on so i do have him as my rb 15 on the week purely out of that usage i have him ahead of guys like james connor deontay foreman miles sanders jamal williams isaiah pacheco guys that are gonna be splitting their backfield at least with someone else and montgomery feasibly will not be doing that so perfectly winnable matchup against the falcons defense that just got absolutely fleeced by deontay foreman twice over their past three games fire up dave montgomery with confidence moving forward nfc south your first place tampa bay buccaneers coming back from germany they are on a bye taking us to those atlanta falcons we were just talking about at four and six again three point home favorites against the bears so okay i I tried to be nice to arthur smith and then he had to neuter my fucking guy cordero patterson here come on man what the hell was that like tyler like tyler algier wasn't even doing anything how many freaking yards did tyler algier have last week it was absolutely embarrassing i know a lot of them came from negative receiving plays like what is that supposed to make it better tyler freaking algier comes out there and has 11 touches for three yards for three yards kevin they took the best kick returner of all time and made him another kick returner and not a running back that he's shown Year and year, time after time, able to do it again. This is my nightmare. Screw Arthur Smith, man. They've scored 17 or fewer points in three of the last four games. What's so wrong about giving your best players the football? I'm not even gotten to Kyle Pitts and Drake London yet. Cordero Patterson is healthy. He is your best running back, and he is now suddenly not a sure thing for touches. This is a revenge game coming up against the Bears, and I can't even guarantee the guy's going to touch the ball 10 times. He has been their best player on offense all season long. He was the best player on offense last season, and Arthur Smith has given the ball to Tyler fucking Algier. Yeah, I mean, remember when Arthur Smith was – I don't know if he was rubbing it in fantasy – players faces but it's kind of like you know we're trying to win games and then they did win games and then it was like oh i guess arthur smith knows what he's doing well if you look at the last four games that they've played you know they lose 35 to 17 to the Bengals. they beat the panthers after the panthers gift them with a missed extra point a missed field goal in overtime they lose to the chargers and then they lose to the panthers again so it's like they're not even winning games with whatever this strategy is and they had a window to go to Desmond Ritter. I didn't really care either way whether they went to him, but I think it at least makes some sense to get a look at him. They had the 10-day window, and Arthur Smith just scoffed at that, the notion that it would even be considered. So, you know, Arthur Smith knows better than the rest of us. Works sometimes, but more often than not, it doesn't work. It's like the, you know, like the Sex Panther, 60% of the time it works every time. He's like 20% of the time it works every time, the Arthur Smith connection. I'm with you. I haven't been dying to see the Mariota to Desmond Ritter thing, but after last week, I mean, what do you have to Might as well. You have the 10-day window. Like, just go do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Against the Bears? Like, against the Bears' defense? Like, anyone can look good. With all those uh, tight end injuries going on this week, I still couldn't rank Kyle Pitts higher than tight end eight. I think that tells you a uh, kind of state of how things are going for him. Second last week at, uh, you know, unrealized air yards, if you will, I believe he's top five on the entire season at okay. this point. 
Trey McBride or Kyle Pitts, rest of season? Who are you you taking? Oh, my God. I guess Pitts, but it could easily be McBride next week if we see the full-time role. I know. It could be. Yeah, you got to take Pitts, but it's just – I'm just trying to think of what would be the funniest one to say. All right, enough of that. Panthers, three and seven, third place this week in Baltimore. Ravens are 12 and a half point favorites, game total at 43 and a half. Baker Mayfield back under center. Every single one of these QBs has suffered a high ankle sprain at some point this season. Hate to see that. So Baker, second half against some Bengals backups, easily put forward his best performance of the season a few weeks ago. Do we expect that to continue against a well-rested Ravens team coming off the bye? Probably not out there. So, DJ Moore, obviously, we've kind of seen what he is. He is a boom or bust, low end, wide receiver two, probably more likely a wide receiver three. So guess what? That comes with a boom every now and then. Also comes with some bust. That's why we use that phrase in the old fantasy industry. So DJ Moore, you can feel, again, not good about, because what can you feel good about in this offense? And I want to use that point for why we can't just immediately put Deontay Foreman and starting lineups of all shapes and sizes and not think twice about it. Because look at these 300-yard performances he's had. Two of them came in double-digit wins. The other one came in that back-and-forth overtime game that you just mentioned that they should have won if their field goal kicker knew how to do his job. So when they got blown out by the Bengals, Deontay Foreman had nine touches and a 43% snap rate without Chuba Hubbard in the picture. So yes, Chuba came back last week on Thursday night and wasn't a factor. That was also a game time decision situation where I think Chuba obviously could have been eased back into it in the first place. So Deontay has been playing well. I would expect him to lead the way more weeks than not moving forward. But once you start looking at this end of season schedule, again, they're 12 and a half point dogs this week. Then they got to go face that juggernaut Broncos defense. Then they have a bye. Then they're in Seattle. Then they, okay, got the Steelers and Lions and they're in Tampa Bay. Like, You can talk about the Steelers and Lions being reasonable spots for Foreman, but these game scripts are about to get a lot worse. If your trade deadline is still out there and someone thinks Deontay Foreman really is this guy that's going to be seeing 20, 25 plus touches a week, man, I would gladly sell high on him right now. Am I I right here, Kevin? Because look, I drafted a ton of Deontay Foreman in best ball back in the summer, irresponsibly so, given how, you know, Chuba really did actually have the lead over Foreman before he got injured. So I'm fine. If Deontay Foreman proves me wrong with what I'm just saying, that's great. I'll, you know, be laughing straight to probably not the bank, but maybe win like five bucks or something like that. So with uh, Deontay doing this, sign of more things to come, or has it been a fairly fluky sample based on the Panthers being more competitive than we should expect them to be the rest of the way? I don't know. I'm a little bit ambivalent on this. I mean, I think that he has earned the lead role, maybe a bit more than what you think that he has. But I agree. The schedule is really the issue. If the schedule was not out there, if Baker Mayfield was not the worst quarterback in the NFL beforehand, I would be a little bit more on board on him. It just all depends on what sort of value you can get from him. Um, I do think he's going to be the lead back though. I think he's going to be pretty much locked in as the lead back going forward. What that's worth or not is really the question. And uh, what's up with Sam Darnold? Like this seems very unlike an NFL franchise, not to at least roll Sam Darnold out there and just hope to see what will end up happening with him this season. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't turn to Darnold in this circumstance. Final note on Foreman. He has just four catches this entire no season. No Darnold there, commentary. So. No Darnold commentary for what, what do you want me to say? The guys <laughs> the people terrible. want the people want the Darnold talk. Okay. Are you a Darnold stand? No, I'm not. I just oh, thought it was thank God. You, you just rolled past that like I was talking about uh, uh crypto and Tom Brady right now. But no, I, I spent all last regular listeners of the podcast know my thoughts on uh, you know, Darnold coming into Carolina. Okay, who's the, more likely to get them the number one? or get them close to the number one pick starting Darnold. Sam Darnold or starting Baker 
Darnold, Darnold. I think so. Yeah. yeah At I least Baker. So I don't know. Baker is Baker's so bad. So but he's bad. actually played good for like stretches before. Darnold like never has really. Even last year, those first yeah, couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah. That Historically, was right, right. Yeah. Okay. I'll give it to you. Last place, Saints three and seven facing off against the Rams at home. Saints are favored by four, just a 38 and a half point game total. Yeah, Andy Dalton, what the hell, man? It was all going well for a bit. You were checking the yeah. ball down to Alvin Kamara, and then Dalton Assange is over. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Six, six, seven, and nine receptions in Kamara's first four games with Dalton under center has caught just six passes over the past two weeks combined. And it's the worst part has been like these have been perfect game scripts for him. They have gotten they've been trailing really the better part of the last 120 minutes on the football field. The problem is they've only scored 23 combined points. Dalton has just 29 and 27 pass attempts because they cannot consistently move the ball downfield. So it's Alvin Kamara. He's still top five and expected PPR points per game. You're starting him no matter what, but what are we doing with Dalton here, man? Give me Jameis. Come on. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of surprised it's not Jameis, honestly, but well, we'll see. Maybe it'll be a halftime switch type uh, of situation. It's almost inevitable at this point. Fun note, Juwan Johnson, Saints tight end, has more PPR fantasy points than Taysom Hill, Saints tight end this season. It does seem like the uh, you know Taysom Hill situation is not increasing. If anything, his usage has gone down. So, yeah, it was fine when this was actually a top 10 scoring offense and Taysom Hill was their hammer at the goal line. Guess what? You start taking away those points. You take away the goal line carries. Taysom Hill ceases to be much of a fantasy factor. Only final point here, Chris Alave, not expecting him to get that Jalen Ramsey shadow. We did see the Rams use it for the first time all season last week against DeAndre Hopkins, but Ramsey and Hopkins go so far back against each other, dating to those Houston Jacksonville days that I think that could have had more to do with it than anything. So we're now getting the storyline, Kevin, like can Chris Alave actually, you know, score touchdowns or is this is not, not a part of his skill set, you know, just giving absolutely no credence to the fact that he scored more receiving touchdowns than literally anybody to ever enroll at the fine institute known as the Ohio State University. So I'm willing to say it's a little bit more of a problem with the Red Rocket under center and not Chris freaking Alave being good at catching touchdowns. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. And the, those targets will come and they, you know, the, the, there were some earlier this season. So, yeah, I think that's fair. It's just the whole passing offense they're not converting third downs. I think we talked about this before, which causes just the play counts to go down, the yardage to go down, the touchdown opportunities to go down. And that's been the big problem because they're not going to get like a huge explosive play very often with Andy Dalton. Alave did have two near catches last week that would have given him a nice little extra 50 yards on the stat sheet. But at the end of the day, he didn't. PPR wide receiver 59. Just realized that's only the second time he's finished outside the position's top 24 since week two. So still an awfully high floor for Chris Alave. Continue to fire him up as a low-end wide receiver too. Before we close things out with the NFC West, want to give a quick shout-out to some of our lovely sponsors out here. Friends over at Western and Southern, the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Also got to give some love to our fine friends over at Sleeper, as we do every single episode. My favorite place to go play Redraft Dynasty, whatever kind of fantasy football you're looking for. Love their customizable league rules and just everything you can do there. If you have a fantasy league you're trying to make, Sleeper gives you the tools to do it. And we're going to move on right now to the 5-4 second place 49ers with the Seahawks on by because our bounce back 
player of the week, or at least one of them is going to be Debo Samuel, because I think Debo Samuel is really freaking good at football and he's due to bust a couple big plays out there because it's been a minute. But that said, Kevin, I am not all that optimistic about Debo's chances the rest of the season and not to toot my own horn here, but some of the issues I had with Debo as an early mid second round pick back in August was under the pretense that he was going to need to be one of the best players in the league again to make up for not having one of the best workloads. It's the same exact reason why I incorrectly faded Nick Chubb, but you know, sometimes we, the broke clock is right twice a day. So last year, the role hasn't really changed that much. Last year, Debo averaged 15 expected PPR points per game. That was 14th. It's down to 14.1 this year. It's 19th. The difference is last year, he averaged 21.1 PPR points and was the third best wide receiver. This year, he's only a half point below his expected PPR wide receiver 24 on the season. So enough about the McCaffrey shit. You're starting him no matter what. Like, okay, should they have traded all those resources? Like, probably not. Probably should have just kept Elijah Mitchell and Jeff Wilson, and they would have been perfectly fine. But CMC, man, like he was the RB11 last week, and we got people crying a freaking river about it. Elijah Mitchell was good out there, so spare me that argument. I think the real problem of adding CMC here, fantasy-wise, is the impact it's having on Debo Samuel because Brandon Ayuk's keeping on keeping on. George Kittle isn't going anywhere. Debo Samuel might have the talent of a top 12 wide receiver in the league. He definitely doesn't have the workload of one. And I don't really see it coming anytime soon, Kevin. Yeah, I think those were those are two guys that I was pointing to. I thought it'd be interesting with Debo coming back. I think those two are going to play and cannibalize each other more than any two other receivers in this offense. And that kind of happened. I think the Elijah Mitchell stuff is a little concerning. The fact that he was getting so many carries. If you are, you know, if you, if you have Christian McCaffrey on your roster right now, I, I mentioned in the AFC pod how much better the Jonathan Taylor role now looks than what Christian McCaffrey could see going forward. But you're going to get those spike weeks from McCaffrey still, and he's going to be involved. They're going to scheme stuff for him. So um, I, I think he's fine going forward. For Debo, there's just going to be ups or downs. You're not going to have another season where you have Almost the lowest possible A dot. I think, you know, guys like Rondell Moore were even lower, but still such a low A dot, but yet the highest yards per reception. That type of stuff just just does not happen very often. Devo Samuel, I mean, this season, man, wide receiver 25, 27, 46, 35, 19, 50, 58. Not the numbers you want to see from, again, one of the more talented players in the league at his position. But that's what happens when you're just not getting the workload to show off those talents. This week, 49ers are in Arizona, eight-point road favorites. It's not looking great for Kyle Murray to be out there. Game total, which is 43 and a half. Final note, uh, Kevin, I saw your, you know, you always release some quality charts over on your uh, Twitter handle at Kevin Cole PFF, PFF yep. Kevin Cole. There we go. Yep. EPA King, Jimmy Garoppolo, up to fourth in efficiency in your latest EPA versus PFF offensive grade chart. What do you make of the win-loss splits for Jimmy G? Because I saw the funny meme going out there. It was like, you know, when you do like nothing in your group project and, you know, everyone else lifts you up. And that's Jimmy G, you know, being 10-2 and two and starts with zero touchdowns. So we have that stat again. He had a rushing and, touchdown, though. Let's not forget that. Had a rushing touchdown. All those points count equal. Jimmy G noted, you know, the goal line threat uh, with those QB sneaks. But on the one hand, he's 10-2, and two, and it's like the most best record easily, like ever in the history of football. 10-2 and two record and starts with zero touchdowns that said Kyle Shanahan someone that routinely is called one of the best you know play calling minds out there in football 
Shannon is 13 and 19 with Jimmy G. He's not in 29 without Jimmy G. So I get it. You know, you look at the other quarterbacks and I don't think anyone's, you know, arguing that Nick Mullins or CJ Bethard or whoever the hell you want to roll out there were viable quarterbacks that anyone could win with. But again, what do you kind of make of those records? Because a lot of these efficiency statistics that we pull up and we cite for Tua and Josh Allen, we say it's great. And then we see Jimmy G right after him. We're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. Like, it's just not really that important. Overall thoughts on those records. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned the lack of touchdowns, but they're just not a team that passes the ball near the goal line to get a lot of easy touchdowns there. So that's not part of it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, you know, the EPA per play, we're mentioning the advanced, advanced stat, even if you take a little bit less advanced stat, which is the next level, I would say, is adjusted net yards per attempt, where you're netting out sack yards, you're giving a bonus of 20 yards for touchdowns, you're subtracting 45 yards for interceptions, and you're just looking per drop back on that. He, It is Tua, number one, Patrick Mahomes, number two, Jalen Hurts, number three, and Jimmy Garoppolo, number four, above Josh Allen so far this season. And he's not getting a lot of those 20-point bonuses for touchdowns. So he's efficient either way. You can't really argue against him not statistically putting up great numbers it's more of a lower volume it's more of is it the receivers the context around him other the, versus others but i'll you know i'll harken back all the way back to 2017 where it was a winless 49ers team that he came in and won five games in a row to win that season who was on that 2017 team was was george kittle there no was Debo samuel there no his leading targeted receiver that season was marquise goodwin so he has done it and been good with different circumstances. Obviously it helps though, Shanahan and having those guys there in San Francisco now. Isn't it weird how much like success they've had together and how like that relationship doesn't seem all that great. I mean, we well, got injured a lot. So that yeah. was part of the thing that Shanahan even explicitly said when he got a little bit fed up and then go ahead and, you know, they wanted to draft someone is the fact that he hasn't been reliable injury wise because the bottom fell out of the team those two years. I mean, they had a clusters of injuries in different places, but when he hasn't been there, it's been really, really bad. I had a friend get to hang out with uh, Jimmy G at one point and they actually asked Jim, Jimmy about his relationship with Kyle. And apparently they went like three or four months in the off season without like saying a word to one. Supposedly he doesn't so. talk to the organization. That was the whole off season story. It was one of the <laughs> off season stories, kind of a little bit trashing Jimmy in the offseason was that he is completely MIA during the offseason. You cannot get in contact with him at all. Um, but he's Jimmy. Though. Did you see the, the clip of him at the Warriors game where all the cheerleaders are coming oh up gosh. to him on the sideline? So it was like McCaffrey, Jimmy, Kittle, and I think like Juszczyk. I kind of felt bad for the other guys there, right? Because they're like more super, at least Kittle and, and McCaffrey are more superstars. But those cheerleaders who are coming over, I bet they did not even know those guys were football players and were like, okay, you're with Jimmy. You're kind of big. So you're like, yeah, you're a football player too. But it's just like Jimmy, they knew Jimmy immediately. And like CMC has been on like, you know, his GQ game and stuff. Clearly yeah, he's, uh, yeah. he, he was probably the one that was especially uh, hurt by that. We well, had a hat on. I, I, I might not have, right. I, I don't know if I'd recognize Christian McCaffrey walking down the street with a hat on, whatever. I definitely would recognize Jimmy though. He's getting a little salt and pepper. I don't know if it's distinguished. We'll have to, we could argue about Jimmy's hair, hair look uh, in, a, in, a, in a, in a future episode, maybe in the part of the wrap up, the postmortem on the 49ers. Man, that's some king shit though. So the season ends, he just shuts his laptop. Hey, I'll see you guys. Yeah, in August. He says, that's a, Kittle made jokes about it before, <laughs> even like when the relationship was good, he made jokes about the fact that like, you just text him and he never he never calls you back the entire offseason and he shows up for camp and that's it. Like the, the coach is trying to get in contact when they're like, oh, we're going to install some new stuff this year. And he's just like, nope, sorry, call me. I'll talk to you later. <laughs>
Final notes here after we got sidetracked a little bit there. Of course, you're starting CMC, and you're going to be starting Debo and Kittle in all these lineups. Brandon Ayuk, four straight games with 80-plus yards, obviously earning his way into that low-end wide receiver, too conversation as well but similar to philly and some of these other offenses they're just not enough meat on the bone for all these guys to ball out every week you're going to have to take some of the duds just don't freak out one day and inevitably happen third place four and six arizona cardinals again not necessarily expecting to have kyle murray for this matchup at home against the 49ers specifically espn's jeremy fowler reports kyler hamstring could miss another week or so is this conveniently timed up with the new Call of Duty getting released? It absolutely is, but he does seem to be a real injury going on. So we'll see. But unfortunately, this game is on Monday Night Football. So you really will need to have this figured out. If Kyler Murray is a questionable game time decision on Saturday, man, if you can get Jimmy Garoppolo, like that's probably the best of both worlds because then that allows you the chance to really hold out hope for Monday night. But even at that point, man, if we have a hobble Kyler Murray out there, could be problematic. And I think last year we really saw them take their time with Kyler coming back because we saw him try to play through the pain in 2020. And, you know, you take away his ability to really move and you're really confining what he can do as a quarterback. So luckily, Colt McCoy did go out there and he has been solid in his spot starts over the past two years. I'm sure we'll see a dud at some point. Colt McCoy, 36 years old at this point which uh, surprised me to actually look that up but luckily this offense is condensed enough that we don't have to really downgrade everyone all that much despite having kyler out of the picture i mean deandre hopkins rondale moore going for 14 and 13 targets last week great to see that and james connor man playing over 90 percent of the offensive snaps daryl williams on ir you know benjamin got cut Keontae Ingram, low-key, you know, one of these running backs that might just be one injury away from all of a sudden being on the top of all those waiver wire articles. So I did have some annoying Tuesday waiver leagues. I don't know why people still do that in the year 2022, but I sprinkled just a little bit of fab on Keontae Ingram because I do think he is now set up to be that primary handcuff in Arizona. So that's all fine and great. But Kevin, the big question comes down to Trey McBride and if he can be the guy that we want him to be. Max Williams was this team starter the first four games of last season. Then he got hurt and they decided to trade for Zach Ertz. That said, Trey McBride has seemingly already leaped Max Williams on the depth chart. I mean, he has been relegated to practice squad status. They obviously spent a second round pick on the guy for a reason. So historically, Kevin, rookie tight ends, you know, very rarely do they actually produce big time numbers. Since 2010, it's Gronk, Evan Ingram, and then Kyle Pitts. Those are your only full season top 12 PPR tight ends. But obviously a lot of that is their inability to get on the field and get that full-time role something that should be going Trey McBride's way so you said before you know Kyle Pitts versus Trey McBride and I did hesitate and I think that tells you uh you know all you need to know about the situation only reason I hesitated is because again it's not a given McBride's going to have that same role as Zach Ertz but at a minimum man like this week I have him ranked as tight end 14 just behind some guys I'm more confident in having that role Fossa Moreau Greg Dolchich Higby and Hurst but I'd probably take McBride's receiving talent above all those guys. If we get that full-time role, we could be looking at a top 10 tight end the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, and he had that full-time role when after Ertz went down. He ran 32. Max wasn't active. That's my only question. But Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be – that is a bit of a question. Um, But I think when it comes to tight ends and their ability to produce early, I'm going to theorize here that part of it might be that – 
they can be used so often in the slot now, and it's not an overwhelming percentage, but still he was about 40% of his snaps were in the slot there. Then maybe that's a little bit easier to get acclimated to the NFL rather than having to be in line and to block and to do that sort of stuff. If you can be used out wide a little bit more often, and he's a guy who can do that caught a ton of passes, the, you know, MFN as Evan Silva would say, the MFN Mackey award winner, um, McBride. So yeah, I think I'm excited about him. And I guess maybe if you're thinking about projecting players going forward at this point in the season, he's not, you're not using a draft pick on him. You're not using a mid round draft pick. You don't have to worry about downside and taking a zero necessarily. If you have, you know, fab, you can use on someone, use it on him and maybe you got something. And if you don't, then you don't, it's, it's okay. Yeah, I had to blow quite a bit of fab on him, more than I wanted to in leagues where I already had Dallas Goddard. But you start looking at those waiver wire guys, and again, that fab does not carry over to 2023. If it does, that's a pretty wild league that you happen to be in. So assuming it does, you know, fall off at the end of the year, you know, now now or never, basically, I don't know exactly what other tight ends we're going to see open up throughout this year with this sort of opportunity. Final note is that Marquise Brown did get his practice window activated and Cliff Kingsbury said he has, quote unquote, a chance to play through that foot injury in week 11. No, we cannot trust Marquise Brown. I hope Brown. he doesn't play him. I hope he does not play him. <laughs> yeah. I even have Marquise Brown. I don't want to start him. So you like, let him rest a little bit. Cannot trust him this week. How confident are you in Rondale more specifically keeping on, keeping on once Marquise Brown rejoins the fold? It does seem like Marquise Brown, I mean, at this point, please, like, come on. Rondale's still going to be a starter because we saw this last week where legitimately he was working behind Kirk Hopkins and, you know, a combination of A.J. Green and Antoine Wesley. The difference this year has been Rondale has solidified himself as that starting slot receiver and Marquise Brown when he was playing was being used primarily on the outside. So I guess, Kevin, there is a chance that Marquise Brown takes the slot role. And then we have Hopkins and AJ Green on the outside and Rondale goes back to gadget status. But hasn't the guy played well enough to not have that? Like, come on, man. It's 2022. We can't have AJ Green out there. I will say AJ Green, a little bit of a blast from the past. He had two awesome catches last week. Contested, you know, of course, he's not getting separation. But I don't want to completely shit on the guy. But are you at all concerned that Marquise Brown coming back could really make things rough for Rondale Moore, who, let's face it, four of his five games as the feature slot has been a top 24 PPR wide receiver. Uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely worried about it. I mean, as I mentioned before, I had Marquise Brown, who was being heavily, heavily targeted earlier this season on a lot on some fantasy teams. And I mean, I'm concerned for him going forward because DeAndre Hopkins is now there. He is impenetrable as far as his target share is yeah. concerned. He's always going to get it. So then, therefore, unless you have enough to go around to everyone else, and whether it's Kyler Murray, Colt McCoy, whoever there, I um, mean, unless you're playing the Bears every week, I just don't know if there's going to be enough to go around in the passing offense for those guys. So the floor is just going to be low um, until, especially until you see a couple of weeks, how that works out between Brown and Moore. And uh, just how egregious has Hopkins, you know, after mentioned workload been uh, that got mentioned 19.8 expected PPR points per game. The only two guys with more Justin Jefferson and Stefan Diggs and to Hopkins credit. Again, he looks all the way back. I mentioned before, but first shadow target from Jalen Ramsey on the season, eight catches, 71 yards in Ramsey's direct coverage. He got up to 10 for 98 on the game takes us to 
Ramsey's team himself. The three and six, last place, Los Angeles Rams. This week in New Orleans, the Saints are four-point home favorites. Game total just at 38 and a half. So we'll see if Stafford makes it through the concussion protocol. He's still in it, which gives me a little bit of pause because I thought he was a lot closer to playing Sunday. So I kind of thought he would have cleared it by now. If not, we'll have John Wolford back. Unfortunately, Cooper Cup has hit the IR with that ankle injury. Will not be back for at least four weeks. Why would they even bring him back after that? The season is already dead. It's a good question. I would not be surprised if we have seen the last of Cooper Cup this season. So with that said, it's similar to uh, when I was ranking Cortland Sutton, Kevin. I talked about this in the last episode when you had your power go out. But like the fact that Judy's probably out. Patrick's been out of the picture. KJ Handler's out. And I ranked Colton Sutton like wide receiver 19. That's how I feel like with Allen Robinson this week. Like Cooper Cup is out of the picture. Matthew Stafford could be back. I have a wide receiver 31. Like it's just so sad how far these guys have fallen and are just thoughts on their ability to produce. So am I blaming A-Rob too much from this? Because I feel like he's a wide receiver three. And I'm still not going to feel good about putting in the lineup even with Cooper Cup out of the picture. Yeah, I don't know how you could feel feel good about it honestly and we'll see uh you know van jefferson mixing in some more some other things there there's a possibility uh this rams team i think it has more potential than any team to just completely quit the rest of the season like <laughs> because, I, thought, I thought you're gonna go the opposite direction with that no they're they're done they're they're done done so like Remember, Aaron Donald was thinking about retiring in the offseason. They won their Super Bowl. They've given away all of their draft picks again. Detroit Lions are probably going to get a better draft pick from the Rams draft pick than their own own draft pick, the way things are trending this season. Jalen Ramsey, I love Jalen Ramsey. Is he the type of guy who's like, you know, I'm just going to grind out for this, like, team that's four games out of the playoffs? No, I don't think that's going to happen. They're a thin team that really needs those superstars to all come to play. Obviously, you have the injury stuff with Stafford. You have the cup injury. You have Allen Robinson's play that's been uninspired even when they weren't officially like out of the playoff picture. I don't know, man. This could be a huge implosion. And I guess Les Snead's job is probably not on the line, but he would 100% get fired if they did not win the Super Bowl last year. McVay could probably survive, but he'd be 100% totally donezo if they did not win that, that Super Bowl championship. Obviously, everything starts at the line of scrimmage, and this offensive line has done all those parties involved. No favors. PFF Sam Monson yes. always giving us his handy-dandy offensive line rankings throughout the year at PFF.com. And no change from last week. Los Angeles Rams still your 32nd-ranked offensive line in the league. Wolford got pressured on 51.3% of his snaps against the Cardinals last week. That uh, That's not good, uh, gentlemen. So that is not good. With the backfield, that's the only other kind of part. Because I – Tyler Higby, okay, his routes got back up. And I think without Cooper Cup, they're probably going to have to go back to making Tyler Higby this volume-induced tight end one. So back in on Tyler Higby just a little bit. But the backfield, man, even this is showing no signs of giving us anything. I mean, Kyron Williams, if you look at the full game, you actually might think that he worked ahead of Cam Akers. But that all really came on the last drive. All four of Kyron Williams' touches came on the game's final drive. The first 10 of the game, it was Henderson 34 snaps, Akers 10, and Kyron just five. So. Maybe Kyron finds a way to take over. Sure didn't look like it last week, but at the end of the day, if he does take over, what are we even looking at here? This offense hasn't scored more than 17 points since week six. Their season high mark in team rushing yards is 111. Well, I'm just seven offenses with fewer than 40 targets to their running backs on the season. So it's a committee and a terrible offense that doesn't throw the ball to their running backs. 
What what am I missing here, man? I think we're done with all these guys. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure. Tutu Atwell. Will he, will he, will he play? Well, can he, is, is the guy injured? Like what the hell? He still can't get on the field. He's not played a single offensive snap since week six. I mean, I know he didn't play. He played basically zero snaps as a rookie. Like how, what, how bad is this guy? He got, I mean, he'd get loose and like Matthew Stafford would overthrow him. And it was kind of like, well, I mean, come on. The dude's like five foot five. I understand that's a little harder to hit someone with that small of a catch radius down the field, but he's fast. That's the thing I feel like they've been missing. And that's why I thought Van Jefferson could maybe give them a little bit of help. I mean, you brought this up pretty early in the year where even though Cooper Cup was still putting up big time fantasy points, it wasn't the same level of efficiency out there. And with this offense, when they don't have, you know, a Brandon Cooks, even a Sammy Watkins for one year, you know, he scored like eight touchdowns with this team. They've had that outside field stretching option or an OBJ, or even if they're not really stretching the field, it's a guy that can at least make a safety think twice before just rolling down into the box. And I think that's been their issue this year. They haven't had that guy and they haven't had the offensive line to give Stafford enough time to maybe make up for that uh, with some of the wide receivers that just don't have the same amount of speed. So yeah, probably spent way too much time talking about this atrocity. Should we, should we talk about Pitts? Bennett, Fort Wayne's, uh, Fort Wayne's finest as my buddy who uh, went to his high uh, school. I just want to, dude. I just, I mean, second round pick. Come on. Yeah, not great. Uh, the Tutu Atwell, uh, Dwayne Eskridge, second round picks, not exactly uh, looking all. Dwayne Eskridge is at least um, out there returning them kicks. Or <laughs> all right, everyone, that's going to wrap up another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Kevin, you skipped out early on the last one. I appreciate yes. you hanging through all my bad takes on this. Well, one. I had to had to talk about the Rams. Of course, of course. Let the people know where they can hear you and what they can read from you over at PFF.com. Yeah, yeah, on the Twitter sphere at Kevin Cole PFF. Uh, on PFF, you mentioned that an article came out where I was talking about some moves to make before the playoffs. I probably would have had a Keontae Ingram in there too if I would have known about the Eno Benjamin situation. So, add is another guy you can add uh, for the down the stretch in the playoffs. Quarterback rankings, showdown stuff. We'll see how Packers and who is it? Packers and uh, who are they playing tomorrow night? The, the Panthers? Uh, Titans. Titans, sorry, wrong, wrong, wrong teal team there. Uh, and the Titans, so that'll be an interesting, interesting matchup. And all those, uh, all those available at pff.com. I think we're done with the 9:30 games. There's one more international game, but I'm pretty sure it's in Mexico City. So they're just doing it like on Monday Night Football. So that's good for those of us like myself who like to get you know those extra hours of sleep when possible. So yeah, great day to be great over there. Make sure you check out all Kevin's stuff. As always, I got my positional previews, sheesh report, injury notes, and mismatch manifesto over at pff.com. Appreciate you guys as always tuning in. And maybe next week Kevin will have some you know catchphrases uh, for us to hopefully continue to. Improve. So I'm rolling a few over. Yeah. Hey, it takes time, man. For Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks to those for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.